We Have Issues is a weekly podcast full of reviews of comics and oversharing. We use grown-up language to make very childish jokes. You can find the show at wehaveissues.net, as well as anywhere else where average to not too bad podcasts can be found. Hello, listener, and welcome to We Have Issues, episode 127. Uh, it's been a little while since episode 126. Not quite as long a gap as there was between 125 and 126. Uh, we're, we're coming out approximately month and a half at the moment, which isn't bad for a weekly show, I guess. Um, also, this is a podcast about comics, I'm afraid there isn't a lot of comic talk in in this episode. Um, It's mostly about uh, love, death and robots. Um, I got together uh, over the internet with um, David Wynn, who I say friend of the show and, and frequent contributor, but I think most of the recent, well, not recent, most of the last few episodes have actually been, been pretty much recorded just with him. I don't know. Um, so co-presenter, oh, I don't know. I don't really know what you'd call it. Anyway, he recently watched uh, Love, Death and Robots, the Netflix animated anthology series, and he really wanted to talk about it. So so we talked about that for about an hour and a half. Um, there's a lot. It's a long episode, so I'm going to let you get to it. And, uh, and uh, I'll see you in the next episode. So, so. we haven't... We haven't, I mean, there hasn't been an episode in over a month, and before that there hadn't been one for over a year, but we haven't talked, uh, we haven't talked in bloody ages outside of no, the internet. No, no, it's true. Like, I, well, I think the last time, like, I actually, we actually sp- even spoke, probably was doing an episode, which would have been... The last time I remember speaking to you would have been doing an episode and it would have been in this flat that I'm in right now that I didn't live in for a year between then oh. and now. So <laughs> that's like, really confusing. <laughs> so so it, what I'm saying is it's over a year is well over a year. So. It would have been I think it was before Christmas last year. Yeah, so it's been it's been such a long time and like for some of that time, I haven't actually been reading comics, and I've been trying not to talk about them mm. anywhere because because comic people are stressful. But then everyone, yeah, I mean, they they're just as stressful as anyone else is. Really, everyone's kind of stressful. Um, I don't even know if you've been reading stuff. I, oh, I'm, I'm, it's, I have to admit, yeah, my comics reading has kind of gone down a lot lately. I'm, I, it's gonna, hopefully, gonna come back up a bit, but. Um, it's it's actually it's the fault of podcasts in a way. Uh, well, oh, it's, well, because um, so okay, this is going to get sort of oddly personal for podcast business, but but fuck it. Um, so I <laughs> split up with my partner uh, just over a year ago, mm-hmm. and and moved out shortly after that, and uh, found that the only way I could get to sleep. Um, in or sleeping on my own, <laughs> was uh-huh. was with a podcast playing 
basically. Um, and the thing is, what I you know I, I used to do all my reading in bed before I go to sleep. That was when I do most of my reading, and I can't read and listen to talking at the same time. So that just that was it. <laughs> basically, I just it I, will I, know I, that I, that I stopped. Just a simple change in routine like that can kill. Mm. It's it's weird how much it can kill a habit, though, isn't it? I, I know exactly right. what you mean because I. I used to do most of my, in terms of novel, like reading novels, I've never been great at reading comics in bed, but um, in terms of reading books, I always used to do that in bed. But now that I'm with, um, and I have been with Amy for a really long, like for over 10 years, mm. but now that I'm with someone who's such a light sleeper, I can't even have a lamp on in the, okay, or the backlight on a Kindle. So if I'm up, I'm not in. I'm downstairs. I'm like watching TV or whatever. Because if I'm near the TV, I'm more likely to. But I have. See, that's bad. I clearly don't like reading enough. Because if I did, I'd do it. I'd be able to do it in the living room. But if there's a TV in the room, I'm gonna. You I'm gonna watch for the TV instead. So it's. Um, but yeah. So my my prose reading has tailed off dramatically in the last ten or fifteen years, just because of that different sleeping arrangement. Mm. Um, and comics wise I tend to do most of my reading on my tablet uh, a lot of the time on the bus okay so, that makes sense yeah um, so if I if I'm just running late by a few minutes or or whatever if I'm slightly out of breath when I get to the bus which because my eating and health like my general fitness are really low at the moment I'm quite often out of breath when I get to the bus <laughs> Like that's the next ten minutes of the journey with me just staring into space and flicking through Facebook instead of doing something a bit more productive. <laughs> Quite often, I'll put my earbuds in, planning to put Spotify on to listen, mm. and I'll just have my earbuds in the whole journey, and I'll just forget to put anything on. I, I do you know what I I do that from time to time, so I, that's not weird. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Either that or we're just both weird. Well, but so so you are watching lots of telly. Yes, so, which is a nice segue, and and would be an even better segue if I didn't lampshade it like that. It's but, when every, anyone who's ever listened to this knows that that's what you do, so it's no, it's fine. And me, so yeah. Um, I was because the thing I wanted the 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 reason I suggested we record. Mm-hmm. Um, so listener, you have me to thank. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I watched. Um, I was. I've been. I've got some commissions I'm working on at the moment and I was trying to get one done yesterday um, and I find <clears throat> I find it quite helpful to have um, something this is sort of counterintuitive but to have something visual on like a TV show or a film on in the background while I'm drawing that usually mm-hmm. kind of helps me along and, um, and I decided to try Love, Death and Robots because I'd seen a lot of people talking about it I'd seen the it's like, well, I probably won't be that interested in it, and it'll, you know, be something that's just going on in the background. And um, and I actually found myself quite drawn into some of it, and and and, but it brought up a, it brought up a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that had me thinking about a lot of stuff, and it, I thought that had me thinking, this is stuff I want to talk to Nick about. <laughs> Basically, I was like, this is um, like. I was thinking <clears throat> one of the things I, that that I saw a lot of people saying about it before watching it, um, and it's a thing over and over again. And, and we see this people saying this about a lot of things, is but people talking about 
oh, just because, you know, you call it adult animation, but mm-hmm. having sex and violence in it doesn't make it adult. That's not, that's not what that should mean. It should, you know. And I was watching it, I was thinking, well, no, this is adult animation. It is exploring, you know, not, not the most original themes, but yeah. a lot of the themes it is looking at and talking about are they are not things that kids would be interested in and and I, I just kept having this feeling that like the the sex and violence i think was much more there the 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 thing the the i think the phrase i used in twitter dm to you was it was genre markers right they're, they're sort of getting across the and I, I just had this strong feeling, especially because like the first episode is the probably the worst of the bunch for that. Like mm-hmm. it's the the most sort of egregiously misogynist and violent and just horrible. Um, yeah, probably the worst episode of the bunch as well. Um, it's but, weird because it doesn't feel like it will be for some of it. Some of it you're thinking, oh, this is quite pretty sometimes. Yeah. And but you think that you think that it's finding its level at that point, but actually it turns out it doesn't. But it's like, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, it's just it. I, the thing I, I sort of found myself thinking is it, it felt like a statement of this is what the the genre of this is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was sort of um. I, got, I, I went off on a full sort of highfalutin train <laughs> of thought about it. I was thinking about you know the nature of story. <laughs> it, it's something is this is a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately anyway is um you know anyone who follows me on Twitter will know I get a bit preoccupied with some of the more sort of puritanical strains of uh ways that people I broadly agree with can yeah. get like yeah. I think I think um the the, the the thing is right progressive you know we are progressive nerds mm-hmm. let's say we are you know i i would say you and me are very much part of uh or we are a type of person we are part of a uh, a group of people on the internet whether through choice or not but who are mm-hmm. generally quite left leaning quite um you know, to differing degrees, possibly, but you know, uh, certainly very interested in social equality, um, and and also we very much enjoy what you know has depressingly become known as like like geek media, um, and we, <clears throat> we um, and but there are certain biases I think that kind of come out in those circles that I I think that go unexamined unexam- a bit. Around yeah. like why we like certain things and kind of assumptions about well oh because it's better and it's like well no people's aesthetic tastes are their aesthetic tastes and we like certain kinds of stories and so like so animation right animation's not a genre right but in the minds of like the general public mm-hmm. it might as well be because it's become so associated with a certain kind of story that it might as well be a genre because specific genres tend to deal in specific kinds of stories. It's one of the reasons we like them. The reason, so I was thinking about like, so I like crime fiction. Like I really like crime fiction. And there are two kinds of story 
that I really respond to that turn up a lot in crime fiction. One of those is a uh, a deeply damaged, flawed person um, who who carries a lot of guilt and a lot of emotional baggage seeks some kind of redemption and vicarious peace through uh, the through turning their damage and their uh, obsessive nature to a to a good to a use that they think is good in service of somebody else right that so that's the punisher that's most detective fiction that's you know um uh, and i really respond to that kind of story and another kind of story is uh, a group of sort of underdog type people uh take on a a, a task and and uh execute it very well and get away with it the heist movies like i I really enjoy those kinds of stories. Like that's most Elmore Leonard novels. That's mo- that's all the Parker novels. That's all, you know. So, so I like crime because I respond to those kinds of stories. I also like the genre trappings of it. But the fact that I like the genre as much as I do is because I like those kinds of stories. The fact that I don't really like fantasy, as a rule, even though I really like the trappings of it, I love castles and medieval shit. You know, I'm a heavy metal fan. Yeah. Right? I love all that shit aesthetically, but the types of stories that fantasy tends to st- tends to tell don't really do it for me. So I don't really like fantasy. And I think the thing with animation, one of the reasons it's kind of somewhat, you know, it uh, it attracts a set audience, and we are part of that audience. Because yeah. we respond to stories about somebody who feels a bit alienated, um, goes through some kind of adventure, it, possibly because they've set themselves some imp- seemingly impossible goal, or possibly just because adversity has been thrust upon them. And along the way, they they gain the validation and and sense of belonging, you know, uh, that they they never they maybe didn't even realise they were missing in the first place. Right, that's almost all kids' fiction, and that's yeah. that is most animated movies. That is what that is the kind of story that animation tends to be used to tell nowadays, because most animation is geared towards children. Western animation, that is, and and we also we live in the age of the genre mashup, right? Yeah. So I think, so I, so sometimes you will see. You'll see something like Zootropolis that will take on certain trappings of other genres, but we but we know, oh, it's animation though. That's the overriding. It's a kids' animated movie. That's the overriding genre. Also, it's a Disney movie, but you know, it, it's yeah. not enough to take on the basic trappings of oh, this is sci-fi animation because people will broadly people will still look at it and go, yeah, but. If they're not into animation in the same way that I'm not into fantasy, they're still going to have that reluctance. They're still going to be like, yeah, but I don't respond to that kind of story. And I don't think it's necessarily a snobbish, oh, that's for kids thing. I think that's a kind of defensive nerd thing on our part as as a group to automatically assume that's that that's what people have... I, I think... Yeah, that makes sense. I think that makes I, sense. Anyway. I, th- I think... In order for death, love, death, and robots. I keep getting t- the name wrong. I mean, I, 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 is it our mutual friend Anna? I think referred to it as tits and robots. Yeah, 
Possibly. Which, I mean, that would be perfect. <laughs> I think yeah. it's a better title for it, yeah. But Tits and Robots, in order to fully sort of say, you know, to have that trailer on Netflix very, and, and, and the first episode, which kind of functions as a trailer for the series, isn't it, really? Yeah. To really get across, no, this is a different genre. This is... Um, you know, the kind of sci-fi you used to get in straight-to-video, late-80s, early-90s sci-fi movies, you know, it's that genre. It's mm-hmm. um, It has to... It really has to push the trappings of that genre. And amongst the trappings of that is sex and, and extreme violence. It is... And, it, and those are things that clearly say, no, this is not children's fiction. This is... And, you know, it does say that. And yes, adult storytelling is more than that and should be more than that but it's a very quick shorthand for telling people what they're getting and I so it kind of to me it, it felt like I, just, I didn't find it as it is deeply misogynist and mm-hmm. I found that quite I didn't like that but having sex and violence in your thing doesn't have to be misogynist it's not misogynist by its nature you know, and so yeah, I just so it got me thinking about a lot of that stuff. I get it. I mean, it's in, it's interesting because when you when you mentioned some some of the stuff, some of the stuff you said when you mentioned it in DM, I I wondered if what you were going to have picked up on was the ideological attack on it because I know that's something that you're quite um, you're quite preoccupied by at the moment. I think probably rightly. I think, I think well, you. There is, a, I, yeah. Go on. Sorry, sorry. I was going to say you, you've I, you've sort of described it as it's like you and I have fl- uh, swapped places in some ways. On because I've mellowed to I've mellowed about certain things at roughly the same time as you've got quite annoyed by <laughs> by them about the way people talk about things and about the way people express their ideals and I'm I'm at a point now where I'm like well as long as they're not actually stabbing people in the face I don't mind people being like progressive and like. I think it, you find it more infuriating in the way I maybe did a few years ago. So I'm not sure what's going on there. And I, well, I wondered if that's what you were going to well, be no. picking up on, but it isn't. I, I, th- I think in the case of this, no. I, I mean, I mean, what you're talking about there, I, the thing with that is, is I don't mind people the way people talk about things. The mm. thing I, I've been becoming increasingly um, preoccupied with is go, it goes beyond just talking it's but mm-hmm. there there's a lot of targeted harassment there there yeah. is and and um and it's it's no use pretending it's not i don't think it's right that that people are pretending that it's not coming from our side either like, oh, yeah. like it's obviously like obviously comics gate Gamergate, all of that, they are the fucking worst people in the world. Like, they are awful, and, you know, and, and, and it's not on that level, yeah. but there are people who are, you know, out, they, they are whipping up, you know, there, there are comics critics who have followings in sort of the 20,000 range, uh, who, you know, and comics critics is a very generous term because they're, <laughs> in a lot of cases, they are literally just people who talk about comics on Twitter and they don't even write for anywhere else or anything. Yeah. And that, but, but they've kind of built a brand of being progressive voices about comics on Twitter. But then what they do is that they, they will then single out individual creators and they will 
you know, basically set their followers on them yeah. in quite um, awful ways. And they will, they, um, yeah, for me, like it really, where I started having a problem with it um, was, uh, oh, it was a review of, um, sorry, we, we probably shouldn't get too sidetracked with this, but there was a review of the issue of Gem and the Holograms where one of the characters came out as trans. Uh-huh. Um, that was based on the artist's own life experience and this review explicitly uh, I, mean, I say explicitly but spent a lot of time talking about the murder of trans people right. and then talked about all the ways that the comic was problematic right. so basically was saying this comic is in, is inciting trans murder yeah. Now that that critic is also trans, but that that is a comics critic saying th- saying that uh, that another trans creator is inciting trans murder by writing about their own lived experience. And I would lo- love to say that that was a very unusual example of things I I see, but it's mm. not. And I see a lot of that that like so that's the stuff that that gets my my back up, and um and the the sort of the escalation of things, the things of you know taking, uh, you know, one, you know, calling people sex offenders when actually what they've done is they've made a sexist comic, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, and it's like no, they've made like a, it is enough to say they made a sexist comic. That's that you know, that's. And and oh, and look, we could talk. I could go on about this for quite well, a long time. But it's it's one of those things, and it, it's tricky. It's tricky when you can't have a com- you can't have an argument with someone on the right without them saying you say they did something racist, and they say, "Oh, you're saying I'm a racist." If we're also doing, if people on the left, you see, for for me, the way I see that is well, you know. Everyone has roughly the same fucked up psychology. Even, oh, yeah, yeah. even if yeah. even if their beliefs or ideas are right or decent, we're all prone to the same sort of weaknesses, and so it, it's not. But the other thing is, I don't I, because I don't follow the same people you do. I don't see a lot of this. We follow very different people, so we see very different problems. Yeah. Uh, we oh, both that's... see problems, but we see very different ones. Um, <laughs> But I, I totally understand because it's like there's a feeling of hypocrisy. There's that. Well, if we, ca- you know, if we can't even get this stuff right, if we, the people on this side of the argument, I, I get what you mean, and you're, and it kind of ties into the other thing that I'd quite like us to maybe talk about in a little bit, um, which we were also talking about about the comic industry in general. If we get time, oh, yeah, yeah. we might not get time. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Yeah, I thought that that was going to be what because there's lots of a lot of the discussion of. One of the first articles I saw about Love, Death and Robots, it was actually an all right article, but I hated the headline. I quite often hate the headline. Mm. Headlines are awful. And it was literally, it was literally, uh, Love, Death and Robots has one major problem, has a, a particular major problem and, and it's not okay was the actual <laughs> headline. And I was like, well, you haven't said what the problem is. So like, it, you clearly not, it's the, the headline writer is clearly more interested in getting people to read the article than they are in, yeah. in informing anyone. And it's not okay is a really, 
it, it's kind of, kind of it's, <laughs> it's yeah it's adopting a sort of a, a sort of twee language on the internet that admittedly we didn't grow up with so yeah. we're maybe not as comfortable with but it was just a little bit weird and like it this this I I can't I I got very excited about Love Death and Robots when I saw the first trailer. I happened to, I think I happened to be on Netflix when they stuck it up. There. Okay. And so I saw it and I was like, "Oh, this looks exciting." And it and it and possibly part of the conversation we had earlier on was about how not new I felt a lot of this stuff was. Yeah. Um but that I think is partly because the trailer reminded me of those, you know, you bought Akira on video. Yeah. And then the adverts at the beginning, it starts with, um, rather than an advert for individual things, it starts with an advert for the manga line. With a and it's like, brilliant piece of music by Power Mad. Yeah, it's like this epic sort of metal mm. and just loads of fast cuts between sex and violence and blah. And that's what it reminded me of, but prettier. Well, not prettier, but like more modern. Absolutely, yeah. Um, th- that's what the trailer reminded me of. So... It didn't immediately make me think, "Oh, this is just this is just like the manga boom," but it evoked that for me, and it got me quite excited because it was quite a nicely cut, fast trailer. And then I, by coincidence again, I ended up I happened to be on Netflix when it I happened to have some free time when it launched, so I watched the first half the first night. Okay, and then the second half, I think I watched the second night, and I watched as far as. Um, the space opery, opery one about I was half asleep when I watched it so I think I kept falling asleep and starting it so it felt a bit like a dream and then the episode's a bit like a dream it's the guy and he's in deep space and he meets oh, a woman yes. and they have lots of juvenile sex and yes. the, the, um, and the thing terrible. is yeah well I was I was watching it thinking I was watching it thinking well this is I'm a bit uncomfortable with some of this. Uh, I'm a bit uncomfortable with how rapey the first one is. Yeah. Because it feels like, but it, it's more, I can't be a prude about this stuff. Like I watch Game of Thrones. I know you don't. Mm. Um, but I also, I also think Game of Thrones is tame and constantly comment on this compared to some of the other stuff we watch. Yeah. So we yeah. watched Spartacus. We watched Banshee, which went out on a channel called Cinemax. So I think as part of the contract, they have to have explicit sex in it. Yeah. So none none of the actresses get away with not doing full frontal nudity in that. Um, we just started watching a show called Warrior, which is based on the writing of Bruce Lee, okay. um, but is from the same people who did Banshee and Cinemax. So it's set in sort of um, post-Civil War. Oh, uh, I want to say San Francisco, but I could be wrong. But it's it's about the Chinese gangs and this, this guy who comes in, who is clearly like very loosely based on Bruce Lee. Well, that sounds um, quite interesting. It, 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 it yeah. is. And That's it is, an interesting it's period and it's pretty violent and it's, and it, it, it it's exceptionally violent and it's exceptionally like male gazy as well. There's lots yeah. of like very like explicit sex. I can't pretend to be a prude about this. Well, that's the thing that 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 is the thing for me is I I think a lot of the reaction to you know for all the thing of saying oh you know to be adult it shouldn't doesn't have to have all of this but I don't think people would be as upset or as offended by the sex and violence if it wasn't animated mm, like, maybe it, because if it it is no worse than you know. Game of Thrones. It is no mm. worse. Well, I literally, I was just watching, like before we recorded, I watched Polar, 
mm-hmm. uh, Netflix movie based on a comic book, uh, which I have not read. Star, but it stars Mad Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, the uh, the pro the film, not the comic book. Yeah, the film stars Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> yes, it's directed by Jonas Ackerland. Uh, he just he's just had a film come out in cinemas called Lords of Chaos that I All really right. want to see actually because that's it's about the Norwegian black metal scene. Uh, right. Which so when that was so sort of sidebar when that was first announced, I was massively against it as an idea because those. Those people are were knobs. Are knobs the the living ones? Certainly are awful people. Um, but by all accounts, that's what the film's about: is that they are just a bunch of fucking idiots. And <laughs> and um, but Jonas Ackerland is um, well, and also he knew them because he actually was a, a heavy metal musician or a black metal musician around that time. But he's from Sweden rather than Norway. He was, I believe, he was in Bathory. Anyway, mm-hmm. the thing he's actually most known for, though, is his music videos. Right. Um, so he did, like, the Madonna Ray of Light video, and he did the video for Beautiful Day by U2, you know, the one with the aeroplane. Oh, right, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and But he, the thing that you you will most remember by him, um, and that says speaks the most of him, uh, is he's the man who made the Smack My Bitch Up video for The Prodigy. Oh, okay, yeah. He's that guy. And twenty years on, he's still very much that guy. Um, judging by Polar, um, <laughs> uh, it's it's I it's not a good film. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know. I'm, I think I said in DM to you that it was a bad film, but I, yes, I'm, having seen it all now because I was still watching it when I sent that message, I'm I'm sort of conflicted. Like it's it is it is one hundred percent the film it wants to be. Mm. <laughs> I'll tell you that I'll they've made that. choices. It's just that you yeah. really don't agree with the choices. Well, I don't agree with all of them. There, yeah. there are certain choices I very strongly disagree with. Yeah, it's um, but the thing is, like it, like it is it. Polar, it's not a sci-fi movie, but but it is the genre that Love, Death, and Robots is. Like right. it is that grindhousey exploitation cinema thing like it's it's got lots of unnecessary sex and you you know completely gratuitous sex and nudity completely mm-hmm. gratuitous violence that that is 100% no doubt about it presented for titillation you know both of them are you know uh, intended to get a visceral reaction from you and that you know this is what you're here for this is what you're getting you know that kind of presentation but at the same time it's incredibly stylishly done and at the end, it kind of does have something to say right at the end. <laughs> it's not deep or insightful, to be honest. It's not, some, but it, but it did surprise me. Um, not massively, but it, did, <laughs> but a little bit. You know, it it was like, oh, okay, all right. There was, there is something here. There is a bit of substance, and I kind of. I've, and I've not. I saw. A, I did see a couple of sort of hot takey reactions to that on on Twitter when it came out, but nothing like what I did to Love, Death, and Robots. Yeah. And bearing in mind that you know it's a comic adaptation, and I live on comics Twitter. Like that's so. It surely it should have like it got, ju- but it didn't because it's a film, and we there's loads of films like that. Loads of films like that. Yeah. It's just another movie in that genre. Netflix has quite a few of them. I quite like them. Like, 
because well, that's I, the thing. I grew up watching. Sorry, but like you're this, and you like me. Like we we grew up watching things. You know, I love like early David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. I love you know I, Takeshi Miyake, um, Park Chan Wook. You know, um, you know, we, we, and and all of those. You know, Dolph Lundgren movies, and you know, <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, well, there's so John Carpenter. Like, yeah, so there's a lot. It's funny you mention that because um, I, so I think I think part of it, part of the reason Love, Death, and Robots got a lot of attention is there was a there was a bigger push on it. I think, oh, I think on Netflix, so, yeah. and there was on Polar, but also those it had it was a David Fincher thing. The is guy it? from Deadpool, yeah, David Fincher and the guy who did Deadpool. Oh, I didn't. Were know the, were the showrunners? Yeah. Oh, so I don't think um, this. Isn't it made by the same people who did um, Kyrian or whatever it's called the 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 um, Night Vale style thing that they had on there? I don't I don't the know Kyrian in terms Chronicles. of I don't know in terms of animators, but the David Fincher um, it was David Fincher and Tim Miller who um, were the showrunners. They're the ones who've done all the interviews and stuff. Tim Miller okay. was the guy who made Deadpool the first yeah. one. Yeah, oh, yeah, me too. Well, but um, that, although that's the superhero film that's in that genre. Yeah, and I mean, this is the thing. So, like, I think I think there's that, and also um, the fifteen the fifteen minute episodes made it really easy to sit down and accidentally watch a half season. That's true. Which, like, I think you could sit there and watch an hour and a half of episodes accidentally, whereas with Polar, you'd have to make that decision from the start. And also, all of the marketing around it was about it being groundbreaking, which Polar, I don't <laughs> think, had that really. And that's kind no. of... Um, I, I made a little... I, I can't pretend that this is off the cuff because this is me doing that projecting thing. But I wrote, just before we started talking, I wrote, Tim Miller keeps giving himself credit for breaking ground, but what he's really good at is strip mining 30 years of other people's work and repackaging it for adolescent, overstimulated boys. Uh, he's Max <laughs> Landis without the hipsterism and disgrace. <laughs> um, which which was just like it it it's I wouldn't have minded Deadpool if if it hadn't been presented as this brand new amazing innovative thing <laughs> it, it wouldn't yeah. have bothered me at all and and the other thing with the other thing with um uh, Love Death and Robots is I see it as part of a continuum of Netflix trying to that they're playing with a certain type of fire with their marketing and it's not normally seen in this genre stuff although they have got loads of manga and 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 they've got loads of sort of korean tv sit like they're they're delving in all of these different areas which are quite interesting but they're also really in their when they're doing their stand-up stuff um, i might have mentioned this to you in passing on on dms but like before love death and robots had come along i'd been paying a little bit of attention to the um the stand-up specials that yeah. Netflix were putting out because I found that quite interesting. And aside from the Hannah Gadsby one, almost all of them are marketed as "You won't believe how shocking this guy is." <laughs> sort oh, of, oh, he I says mean, the things you're not supposed to say. There's like a lot of that something going on. I think that might just be stand-up marketing at the moment, though, because there are Pro- a lot. Possibly, I mean, because they they do have. I'm sure, like. Because they've got there's a Mark Mar there's a couple of Mark Maron ones on there mm. and he's not like that and there's a couple there's um 
oh, what's her name from Brooklyn Nine Nine, the receptionist, Chelsea Pretty. Yeah, she's got a Chelsea special Pretty. On there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I think you're right. Um, I mean, I think I've definitely seen some really good stuff on there. Um, but but yeah, so most of the, the they do come up and they're yeah. Um, trigger warning. Well, and, you're like, oh fuck off. Yeah, and the they've <laughs> they've got. Um, I don't know if you've seen any trailers for the new, the current Ricky Gervais. Uh, I'm morbidly curious about Ricky Gervais all the time. Basically, <laughs> I haven't I haven't watched anything he's done since The Office, but like, I I find him morbidly curious because I'm always bewildered by the the Office has this weird level of self awareness in it that I just don't know where it went. It's it's really strange. It but went, his... went off to America and made a movie about wrestlers. Well, yeah, I guess. So, um, in his his new show, the trailer uh, for it, he's like um, he's like a Victor, he's practically like a Victor Meldrew character, but it's because of grief. It's actually really tame. It seems to be okay. Yeah, but I've got mo- zero interest in him. But go, yeah, anyway, carry but on. but even even there, the marketing for it and like. Um, mm. everything tries to make it seem like, oh, you know, Ricky Gervais, he's a bit offensive. This new character's another misanthrope by Ricky Gervais. And it's like, well, I mean, it actually looks quite good. You know, it actually looks quite good. I'm not going to watch it because life is too short. But, like, it, if it wasn't Ricky Gervais, you'd yeah. think... Oh, it's it's the sort of it's the sort of com- it's the sort of uh, bittersweet comedy you used to get on BBC Two. It's not, <laughs> it's not that like it's not that controversial when you compare it to. Um, can't remember the one about the lady whose husband dies. Oh, I can't remember. Mm. Like, it, but it, it it's not it's not it's not that controversial. But that's still the way they're tra- you know they're giving Ricky Gervais money to to be yeah. Ricky Gervais and. Well, I think- um, yeah, I mean, he's he he's consistently had the problem that like he's he's one of those people. I think he's got the Frank Miller problem. I think in mm-hmm. in, in a funny sort of way. If it, but it burns me to my core to compare Ricky Gervais to Frank Miller. <laughs> but um, for the last year, I've been living living with a couple of stand up comedians, and mm-hmm. um, it's really interesting talking to stand up comedians about Ricky Gervais. Or mm-hmm. to people who are properly nerdy about comedy, like we are about comics. Yeah. Um, because certainly, well, one of them, one that I'm closest with, like she loves him, mm-hmm. loves him. And I mean, I. So you've not watched anything since The Office. I watched Extras, and right. it's really good. Like it is really good. And I... and I watched his uh, his early. Like around that time, he did some stand-up stuff, and it—I w- mean, it wasn't stand. He's—he's he's never been a—you know—it's one of the things that you do get from stand-up comedians is they get a bit annoyed because he's never actually been a proper stand-up. He's—he—he mm-hmm. he, he was a writer who got famous and then started doing like a one-man show in the style of stand-up. Like, yeah, but it was pretty good. Like, and then. I didn't watch Derek, had no interest in that. Didn't really, sort of stopped because, you know, then once he got into public and it became apparent just what an utter bellend he actually is <laughs> as a person. Like, I've I never, I've never watched any of his films. and I, But then I did watch that movie that came out, the David Brent movie. All right. Um, yeah, it's quite good. Like, it's not, <laughs> well, it's not genius, but it, it, 
you know, I laughed all the way through. Like, and and it, it just it is quite good. He is quite good at what he does. He just his he's a horrible person. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I lied actually because I did watch the invention of lying, and again the um, the marketing around that and all of the conversations he had were really playing up the fact that it 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 had maybe upset one or two Christians. Because because of the central premise, and he was playing it up as this big atheist movie, but actually, it's like it's quite touching, and it's about the human condition. Well, that and that's a recurring thing in his stuff. It's about lonely people connecting with each other, and and that we're all, you know, we're all just doing our best, and we all want to be loved, basically. Mm. (laughs) And that that is the central sort of theme of everything he does. Like, I was listening... um, I don't know. I heard somebody talking about the TV show, actually, and, like, sort of having a rough version of the conversation we're having right now, and it was on another podcast, and I can't remember what podcast that was. Um, Might have been Tea with Alice. I'm not sure. Anyway, but, but that... Yeah, that's the thing with him. It's, like, it's the... Yeah, it's very frustrating. I wish he was... I wish... The humanity that comes across in his work came across in his actual like personality. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's very weird because we don't we don't need these damaged geniuses. That's the thing that a lot of people seem to not like. There are plenty mm-hmm. of people who are really really good at this stuff who aren't apparently us. Anyway, you mentioned John Carpenter, and it did uh-huh. remind me. And we are sort of talking about this zero zero everything's either zero percent or a hundred percent nature discourse. Um, yeah. I was um, I, I'm on one group that is mostly about action movies um, very much going from um, the the theme of commando people being like it's the 90, early 1980s action movies and how newer films relate to them so oh one thing I heard someone refer to Polar as um, John Wick for the alt-right which oh, I, don't, I don't know how Christ. accurate that is um, I mean uh, I, I that's making. Yeah, I don't. Th- I think that's that actually is probably quite a good example of the stuff that annoys me. Actually, yeah. because there's 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 nothing in it that that yeah. would support that would support saying that it's allied to any particular political. No, no. Point I, of I, view. I messed it up. I messed it up, and this is part of the problem because people take all of these broadly broadly right-wing adolescent boy groups and munch 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 them up and i just did it not no i ruined it not john wick for the alt-right john wick for incels that's what they said they said it's john wick for incels i mean well that that's much more accurate yeah see i messed up no they i mean there is yeah yeah the the uh the the mads mickelson in in polo he definitely fucks do you know what I mean? there, there's yeah. a yeah they, they make a very clear point of that <laughs> he definitely does that but um yeah. so on this on this uh, and he's action... very very good at it it's very important <laughs> that we know this <laughs> on this um on this action group and i really i normally really like the conversation there sometimes it makes me a little bit edgy because there is this veneer of mass like macho-ness over okay. some of the discussion, but generally it's not like that. And I know the guy who runs it, and he's not remotely like that. But someone on this group, um, that this group that idealizes action movies specifically of the late 80s and early 90s, was talking about the Purge movies and saying, it sounds right. like a ridiculous premise. How does that work then? And I was like, <laughs> well, A, you've misunderstood the premise anyway. He wasn't even describing it properly. But, but B... 
we like everybody just accepts that John Carpenter's They Live is a good movie, and that doesn't. None of these movies make. None of these big concept movies make any sense at all. None of them do. Like They Live is a brilliant movie, but from what I've from what I I hear, like the Purge movies, it sounds like they are quite that they've in that uh whatever I'm you know that that area that I'm talking about of things that are or that we are talking about of of, of stuff that is it's exploitation cinema that is what yeah. it is which kind of lives in horror nowadays mm-hmm. and and I'm, I'm I'm I I like the fact that it's coming back a bit in sci-fi and and action because that's how you keep those genres alive is you have to have a bit of you know it's it's entertainment yeah, like, and and sometimes you've got, you know, we are human beings are multifaceted beings, and you got to entertain mm. all of us, you know. And anyway, but but that that literalism is weird because most of the yeah. films, most of the films we love from the past won't hold up to that sort of scrutiny. No, and yet because us is another film where a lot of the discussion around us is well, so how does that work? I'm not going to talk too much about it. I love it; it's no, worth watching. It but it falls squarely into like what. Um, Oh God! How can I have forgotten his name? What Jordan Peele is doing, it seems to me, is like he's making the sorts of films John Carpenter used to make. Like, yeah, there, oh, there's there's allegory there and pulp. Like, th- th- he they're unashamedly the genre they are. It doesn't even occur to them to be ashamed of the genre they are. They're not. They're deep, but they're not that deep in the way that John Carpenter's movies are. Like, yeah, there's definitely social commentary there, but you don't. But this, it, it's not. It's not that it's not it's not layered in every part of the the metaphor isn't doesn't run through the whole of the plot. There are bits of the plot that are unexplained because they don't need to be because you're supposed to get a sense of the themes rather than like yeah. this is an exact metaphor for Trump, which is the one that everything's getting compared to now. So like that literalism does um um does grind my gears in particular. The thing about Love Death and Robots managed to get it back there um that that bothered me more than anything was after watching a few of these episodes aside from the fact that like i i get i don't like marketing and yeah. I, I understand that it's necessary to make something sound groundbreaking but it's clear from like what i've said so far that the biggest problem i had with it was that tim miller seems to think it's <laughs> the newest thing ever like he did with deadpool and it's like no no um, I've to- I know I've referred to it before as the Alex Garland effect, and <laughs> like you know exactly yeah. what I mean by that. Yes, but, I do know exactly but that what you mean. People coming in and acting like they're innovating in a genre that they're literally just copying the past and sticking a veneer over it for for the most part. Um, the thing about a lot of the stories in Love, Death, and Robots is, and they are beautiful. Some of them, like. Uh, as I said to you, if I hadn't seen Spider Verse, like if I hadn't rewatched Spider Verse just before I watched it, a lot of the animation would have totally blown me away. In oh, fact, but there are there are certain, sorry, like but there are certain bits in it, like the episode three, the witness, yeah, like, is um, that uses a lot of the same stuff that's in Spider Verse, yeah, and it's not. You know, the, you know, if you look at produ- production schedules and release dates and all of that, it, it has to have been parallel thinking rather yeah. than copying. And it's so beautiful. It's like um, it it kind of sums up a lot of 
uh, what we're talking about in, in in some ways that episode just by itself because it's got a sort of a neat little idea in there, mm-hmm. but it's not that deep and it's not there's not a lot to the idea. Um, so then they pad it out with some really gratuitous, pointless um, tits, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, like there's a whole scene where the main character is supposedly they call it dancing. But she's yeah. just writhing around naked. Well, she's just uh, masturbating, I think. Yeah, isn't yeah, she? She's not like there's not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and and then she spends the rest of the episode basically nude. Uh, and uh, but but the animation is gobsmacking. Like it's uh, the 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 use. So it's that um, one of the things I loved. Sorry, I've got, I've completely. I will let, uh, hold on to your thought because i will shut up soon <laughs> no it's but, fine like, you're exploring the, the same ground i was going to anyway so it's fine the, 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 uh, one of the things i liked about it was the fact that not every episode looks the same yeah uh, there there was a bit too much of that video game cutscene stuff for me yeah, the photorealism stuff yeah, yeah. I, which um i'm not i'm not against that kind of animation and there are that you know I've, i'm one of the guys who defends the robert zemeckis movies that look, mm-hmm. that look kind of like that but but i'm it's it doesn't particularly impress me that that much mm. I, don't, I, I um uh, but that episode kind of takes that as its starting point but then uses a whole load of you know takes a lot of very art house cinema mm. framing effects and 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 kind of pushes it in some in some very artful ways that just make it so beautiful it's so well done visually you know, and in terms of visual storytelling as well, like the the the, it's it's I I would love to see whoever directed that episode do something with uh, a decent script, basically, mm. um, uh, because it, uh, and that's what this stuff's about, though. That's what the it because it's the whole point is it's it's base entertainment that is is fully intended to be for a like a pretty mass audience and to say look you want some violence and some tits here it is but we're gonna slip some art in here we're gonna yeah. get we're gonna we're, we're gonna by hook or by crook we're gonna get some good shit in in here somehow and and that's to me that's the point of this kind of thing like and yeah i, I thought um the the episode with the freezer it's just like, so weird. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. just it's just thrown in the middle of. I mean that and um, there's a couple. There's that. There's the one about the fish. The oh, the, in the, yeah, which is a that completely like different. Yeah, it's a completely style. different um, st- animation style, but also a completely different style of story from everything. I heard someone mm. explaining that. I just heard someone uh, review uh, describing it as. Uh, I mean, it's 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 beautiful, but it's it's sort of all over a bit suddenly, and it doesn't really explain itself. And I was like, "Yeah, that I think that was kind of the point." I, I don't yeah, think you're absolutely. supposed to quite. It's supposed to be poetic. I don't, I don't think you're really sub- that the, literalism I'm talking about again. The entire series. What what it really made me think of was: um, Have you ever read? Have you ever been a, a regular reader of Heavy Metal magazine? Not regular. I've 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 dipped into an awful lot of it and also epic illustrated has i think what you're going to describe is quite similar to epic illustrated as Prob- well but i th- I, th- well, I think a lot of like epic illustrated probably is 
culled from the same sort of sources. A lot yeah. of um, the, or if you ever read uh, Cheval Noir, the the Dark Horse European comics yeah. anthology, like it's the the. Um, so, I have PJ Holden was talking a sort of talked a little bit about Love, Death, and Robots on his podcast on Sunnyside, the Sunnyside mm-hmm. podcast show, mm-hmm. um, and and he described it as being like Future Shocks, right, which yeah. is close to what it is, but what but the I think that genuinely what it is is it's like the shorts you get in Heavy Metal magazine, it's mm-hmm. or, or certainly that you that you did. 15 years ago I had I haven't been a regular reader for a long time but it's you know short stories that kind of get across one quick idea but do it in a, a you know it's in that kind of exploitation style and and it, but as artfully and as possible and you know I, I it I think I I really think there has there is a and uh, a need for things like that in mm. our culture, I think. You know, and I think if animation is going to progress, if what well, if we want to see animation produced in the West for an adult audience that isn't just lowest common denominator stuff, mm-hmm. we have to start with the lowest common denominator stuff because otherwise, it's just it's always going to be um, just art house shown in six cinemas for a week um never makes any money so no one ever puts any money into it yeah. you know, that that's how that, that's how this happens you don't get alien without dark star like you don't get the 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 good stuff if you don't i, I was thinking today about um uh the 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 86 explosion in comics, mm-hmm. and like how you know, we look back on that time as being a time, you know, especially you and me look back on that time as a time when a lot of really great work was produced mm-hmm. and, and, and really high minded work. But it's also the time when the Batman the Cult was published, yeah, like, which I also love. But it is, um, the, the comics aren't for kids anymore was a message that made it out to the general public and and now everyone knows comics aren't for kids anymore but part of how that message got out there was by Frank Miller putting swastikas on 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 the tits of a character in Dark Knight Returns it part of how it got out there was heavy metal magazine it was this this kind of really um stuff that is hard to defend mm-hmm. but it but it actually has you know, you need that. Like, you, you, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, you know what I'm saying. I do, uh, I, I do. Hope the and listener I, does. And and for the for the, I mean, for the most part, I kind of, I do kind of agree with you. Although it's interesting because I've started thinking about the eighties as, like, um, I, you've probably seen me talking about it a little bit on Twitter, but like, I have started thinking of the eighties as we experienced it as comics, all of the this innovation in comics. And actually, it seems more like when you look a little bit further back, like Frank Miller and Bill Sienkiewicz and all of these other people were mm. um, rediscovering or mining stuff that they remembered dimly from 20 years oh. before when they were reading comics. So there's loads of re- really so... 
Um, I was looking at some horror because co- I was I, I spent a, a chunk of the last few months. That that makes it sound really dramatic. But I've been trying. I, I at some point I sold all my old, or I I don't think I sold them. I think I gave them away at Free Comic Book Day. But all of my old Star Wars Weekly reprints, mm-hmm. which you used to be able to get really easily, like fifty p for all a hundred first, the you know all of the first hundred issues. But um, now uh, it's almost impossible to get them. But there was this one particular short story that ran across two or three issues of it right that i was um trying to find and i think it turned up in a few marvel reprints but it was you know that they used to most of those old comic most of those old sort of twilight zone-esque stories that were reprints from the 70s and 60s that made it into british reprints were like by steve ditko or jack kirby or people who weren't quite as good as Steve Ditko or Jack, Jack Kirby. Kirby, but in that really sort of, I thought that's what old comics looked like, and I never really liked Jack Kirby's or Steve Ditko's art because it seemed really simplistic to me. Yeah. So um, I thought that's what comics looked like back then, and that those were the best of the best during that period. Right. And I've come to appreciate both of them. Don't get me wrong. I, over yeah, time, yeah. I've come to appreciate both of them. But to me, it looked really basic compared to the modern stuff that was that was coming I, through. I I think most British comics readers, also to be fair, probably go on that journey. Yeah. With especially with with Jack Kirby, because you know if you're growing up with, you know, we both of us would have been buying comics drawn by Brian Bolland off the newsstand. Yeah. And then and then we're being told in the letter columns or whatever of the American comics that the greatest comic artist of all time was Jack Kirby and you're looking at a Bolland Dread and a Jack Kirby Captain America and you're like Oh yeah. Really? Really? Yeah, or McMahon or someone like that. It is very Well, yeah. yeah Exa- it, well, exactly. Even and that's at the other end. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, carry on. So it's um so I so I went on a bit of a journey um uh, lots of googling, lots of probably seeing scans from places I shouldn't have been seeing. Then I discovered actually that it's all on Marvel, like unlimited, unlimited, which I've had a membership for and had no use for for months. So <laughs> this is interesting. But I, I was going back and looking at these old like Marvel comics from the sixties and seventies that weren't even really under the Marvel banner as okay. clearly, like um, uh, I can't think of any. T- I can't think of any titles to be honest, at the moment. But before, really, superheroes had saturated everything when there were still lots mm-hmm. of these science fiction magazines. And I found this... The reason I've always remembered this comic is it it looked, It was in this really European style. It was um, this sort of short Solaris-style science fiction, weird science fiction story, space exploration story. And it was done in this really scratchy... Um, scratchy style that looked a bit like when you had European artists in 2000 AD or yeah, um, I mean it probably was a European artist yeah um, oh no I think it probably was I wish I could remember who it was Um, and what I found looking through all these magazines is that there were loads of those sorts of artists working and like loads of people doing really like unusual page layouts and Bill Sienkiewicz was looked I don't know if he was looking back at that stuff when he started doing all the crazy shit he was doing, but it had certainly all been there before and then gone away when everyone started finding their house stars and doing superhero comics and stuff like that. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, those Marvel, the magazines, like, I mean, the one that I always 
took an interest in was the Savage Sword of Conan. Of course, yeah. But but um but yeah, they had that whole and the, all the horror line and and stuff like that. That was how they got around. Um, they were there was they had at one point they there was a whole thing with distribution. Like they had there was a big limit on what there was a limit on how many titles they could actually have out because DC owned the distribution right. company. So um so Marvel were were you know they i think they were limited to a dozen comics for at one point or something and so but if they did a magazine then that wasn't a comic so right. as long as they stuck an article uh you know a, a certain amount of text in there and did it in in magazine size and in black and white then they could do that and but then they did lean into that format and yeah they used a lot of they uh, they used a lot of um filipino artists actually i think um uh, Jesus Redondo right. he did a lot of stuff in early 2000 AD as well but he did a lot of stuff in those magazines I he was think. one of my favourites in the old British in the old yeah. British comics I am um, it doesn't I mean you know you'd never get that today you'd never get uh, you'd never get a major comic publisher in uh, in, in Europe or uh, America um, <laughs> mining uh, <laughs> mining the incredible talents of uh, artists of colour from uh, slightly less well-off countries because they were cheap and fast. That just wouldn't yeah, happen, no, would it? No, absolutely not. No. Um, no but no. it's um... what? What is Ivan High drawing at the moment? <laughs> um, yeah. But it's um, it's. I've gone off the point a little bit, yeah. but yeah. So the thing, I mean, one thing that's interesting is in a lot of the discussion of I, I love Death and Robots. I I feel like. There was lots of stuff in there that was an that was an ex, that seemed that was still gorgeous, but seemed less new to me because I fell in love with that the animatrix thing. You know, at the oh, point yeah, when yeah. a lot of people yeah. were going yeah. off the matrix because they didn't like the second film or whatever. Yeah, that they, they snuck out that animatrix. Oh, the, I love it. Yes, the short and it's amazing, and it's all different animation styles. Yep, heavily um, manga influenced, and a lot of manga people working on it. But loads of different styles, loads of different storytelling techniques, and lots of um, lots of weirdness in it that I saw kind of reflected in some of the styles in Love, Death, and Robots. But obviously, oh, no. much slicker in Love, Death, and Robots. Well, just you know, twenty years on in terms of yeah. technology. I mean, the, exactly. No, that's that's. But the the thing, I think, the thing where you can kind of give them some credit, like groundbreak breaking's the wrong word because it's mm-hmm. not breaking ground clearly because there is an antecedent, but. Mm-hmm. The thing is that you have to go back 20 years. You have yeah. to go back to the Animatrix. It is quite... I actually think it's kind of quite... Well, you were talking about the man, the original manga video explosion, yeah. or a manga video when they first started in the UK. Like, that's a really actually apt comparison because the it's it, it it's the same material. In, in a lot of ways, in terms of style, like the the the, the early manga video releases, like um, do not reflect the broad face of of anime and manga no, at, all. Not at all. It's all it, aimed at young men, isn't it? Well, and but and it is all that. It is all very much in that genre. It is, you yeah. know, fist, you know. I remember like Akira was mind blowing, and then the next thing I saw was Fist of the North Star, and I remember being really annoyed. Yeah. I kind of look back on Fist of the North Star a lot more fondly than I felt about it at the time because it's 
not very good. <laughs> well, we did it backwards. It's, I, know what, yeah. I know what you're saying about how yeah. the stuff, a lot of these people cut their teeth on. I mean, it isn't what you said, but yeah. like without the low art, we can't really get, you know, without the pulp, we don't I'd... stand much of a chance of getting to the high art, really. But with yeah. manga, we experienced it completely the other way around. We like, we had Akira. Um, we had Akira and Ghost in the Shell, and then Legend oh. of the Overfiend. Well, I, I see. I think you're remembering that wrong. To Am be I? Because uh, well, because it was Akira, and then the very the second release from Manga Video was Fist of the North Star. Was it right? Yeah, and then like I was, I because Akira when it was released, it wasn't even called Manga Video. It was Island Productions or something. Yeah, I can't remember. And um, my uh, okay, my mum worked at Goldsmiths University in the library in the audiovisual department. Which is that's where my love of animation and weird animation and and sort of and also weird movies kind of comes from is from being have, from a very young age having access to a, a a library of odd videos mm-hmm. and um and they got Akira and she immediately brought it home for me to see <laughs> and so and so I took and I was. I'm sure I was too young. I don't remember when it was, but I so I took a really close interest in what was coming out as it came out. And so the second thing was Fist of the North Star. I think the third thing was Dominion Tank Police. Sounds about which right. Continuing in a similar vein. Like Ghost in the Shell was like because that was like David Cameron got involved in that being released over here. I remember James like, Cameron maybe. Sorry, yes, James not, Cameron. Not David Cameron. <laughs> no. Yeah, sorry, that's very different. Yeah. He would have had his penis yeah. inside a pig's head around there, yes, probably. Talking so. of sex, of, sex and violence, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, oh God, fucking hell, Freudian <laughs> slip or what? But, yeah, but so the, yeah, Coast in the Shell, like, I feel like we went, it went lowbrow really quickly after yeah. Akira and just stayed there for a long time because, yeah, then you got Overfiend, you got... Project Aco and all of that kind of thing, and then Ghost in the Shell came along and was like, "No, look, look!" And I, I remember being really disappointed with Ghost in the Shell as well. Well, I, I... it's not quite the same as Akira, is it? And I think it's looking back, I suspect that as much as anything else, they realised they had a market, and that was the stuff they could get most cheaply that would fit, like a particular, oh, absolutely. because because all of that Ghibli stuff was sitting right there. Oh yeah, I don't know if it was all tied up. It, there was definitely a broader range of stuff available, wasn't there, for them to oh, yeah. for them to get at? It's um, almost certain that, that. I mean, I think you kind of. It's, I I would not be at all surprised if it was a case of you know where they go to Japan, they try to see what they can, you know, license cheaply, and actually, yeah, Ghibli probably going well. Our stuff has a very mass market appeal. We want proper money for this, and yeah, uh, you know, and and because most most anime is actually very broad appeal and it because that's the the industry over there and yeah. and and also if you think about it probably a lot of the actual more mass market stuff were was already actually being being broadcast over here was already available over here they, it just didn't say it was japanese yeah it, it would yeah. have been dubbed you know <laughs> yeah Battle of the Planets of, and stuff like that was already well, over here had been here for years at that point hadn't it yeah well and, and also like i remember there was a you know a lot of just a lot of kids animation at that time you know the moomins that we grew up watching that was japanese the the um there was a um a version of of wizard of oz 
like a long running series of oh, Wizard right. of Oz that was on the, and that was like the Mysterious Cities of Gold you know like so much of, of what we watched as kids but it just didn't it just wasn't it never came up the fact that it was made over there yeah, no, it's just like no, it's just a cartoon. We were just well, I I saw um I saw uh, Laputa and Floating Island, um, yeah, huh? years before any of the other stuff came out, and it was just yeah. chucked out on ITV like yeah. a Christmas holiday morning, and I never found any because at the time you didn't really have TV listings except in the Radio Times or whatever. If you happened to have that, I never I spent years wondering what the hell this thing was I'd watched. Yeah, but that's before exactly I could it, find it? out more about it. Because of course, all of that stuff doesn't actually have any sort of anything about it that uh, until you until you actually know what you're looking for in terms of art style, there's nothing else about it that says this is Japanese. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, no, you're right. I think, and I think the, the thing the thing with Love, Death, and Robots um, yeah. that that is sort of in a way i'm almost i almost do think and 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 it is by way of hearing the hearing blowhards make great claims for things winding me up more than maybe it should um <laughs> yeah. the, the opposite is also true when people slag off something that i know isn't as bad we don't have to talk about um but man of steel yeah, yeah. Or like i mean but like whenever i hear someone making claims against something that are just ridiculous i i, I also i also don't like that so i let that sway me and also um there is kind of that it i i'm still i'm still thinking um and bear in mind i'm not i'm i don't know loads about manga i don't know but i i always hold hold these little nuggets like the animatrix which it doesn't feel like it was 20 years ago to me but obviously it was and like i hold these little nuggets in my head and roll them around for years thinking well that's that's how it could be why isn't it like that oh yeah, yeah. and so like i dare say um, Love, Death, and Robots wouldn't be as big. That it wouldn't be as big a problem that some of the stories are a little bit empty while using these techniques as they yeah. are. If they were part of a more vibrant culture, like of of this sort yeah. of thing, um, and also at the same time, I can't I can't help. You're absolutely right that in the West, and these things do need to make money in the West for people in the West to do more of them. Um, these are a new thing. But I can't help that, and and it's stupid of me because I've seen over the last couple of years that even between America and the America and the UK, there are huge, there are huge blind spots in, in in how we understand the US. Definitely how the US understands our culture. Um, there are these huge blind spots, even when we share all the same media as each other, <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah. So. I'm looking at Japan and I'm looking at other parts of the world and I'm looking at art house for over the last few decades and stuff and thinking, well, but all of this stuff is there and it's all, I'm aware of all of it. So it can't, you can't claim this for this because there's already, I've got a utopian view of it. Um, I think, I think, um, yeah. Uh, what was, uh, uh, sorry, I'm trying to do a mental rewind now. Um, (laughs) So yeah, yeah, I think. Oh, the thing I was going to say is, yeah, you shouldn't call it the Garland effect, although that is a good name for it. You should yeah. call it the Mil- Miller effect, as in Mark Miller. Oh um, gosh, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's the absolute worst for it. But um, I think the the other thing that occurred to me while you while we were talking about this, or, or while you were talking, because obviously 
you know, when someone else is talking, what you should be thinking about is what you're going to say. Next. <laughs> I mean, works, that's <laughs> definitely how it works. I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah. No, but um, what did occur to me is actually thinking about it. Of course, there is actually loads of adult animation made in the West that is clearly intended for adults. Loads and loads and loads of it. Um, but it's, you know, it's called Family Guy. And <laughs> yeah. Simpsons oh, and Bojack Horseman. Or uh, the the thing yeah. that popped into my head was Archer, um, but yeah. that, but that's the thing is that all of that is really low budget. It's really you know very limited animation, and and I and wouldn't it be nice to see something with the sort of ambition in terms of theme and and you know storytelling and, and all of that of, of of something like BoJack Horseman. Though hopefully less depressing, so I can actually watch it. Yeah. Um, but with the kind of budget and the kind of artistry of something like Love, Death, and Robots. Not that there's anything wrong with the animation of Bojack Horseman. You know, that's a style, and and they do. You know, they do. It's. I mean, I'll be honest. It's not for me. Like, yeah. but but they. I fully appreciate what they're doing with what they've got. And and I think it, you know it's great. Like it's really incredible work. It's a great great craft. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's within a very limited setting. Within a very, you know, it would be nice to see them not have those limitations for that kind of storytelling. And I can't see that happening without something like Love, Death, and Robots sort of proving to executives. Oh yeah. People will watch it. Yeah. Enough people will watch it to make it worth doing. Like, but yeah, no, that's yeah. true. I mean, um, I, I could do without the the um, self conscious archness that a lot of the shows have. Yeah, but that's the Adult Swim thing, isn't it? I don't think I don't even get away. It. It's interesting you mentioned that because, like, with a couple of the episodes, like one of my favourite episodes was also the one where I thought, oh, I don't know how you can really get away with having this in an animation series. And that was the uh, one with Samira Wiley, the war story. Oh, about the I haunted. loved that episode. Yeah. Um, the, with, and, uh, Lucky 13. Yeah. And it's... That it's, was the only one of the hyper-realistic ones that I that I genuinely really enjoyed. Anyway, sorry. Well, and, and I couldn't work out, because I know Samira Wiley from other stuff, I... Yeah. It, it, it felt about as CG animated as an episode of Spartacus or the film 300 to me. It, okay. it, looked, it looked like... So like she was acting on green screen. Yeah, so much, of what we, so much of what we see now is CG anyway. That, it's, yeah. that those hyper-realistic episodes are a little bit weird. I, while, I was, while I was looking, while we, uh, when I knew we were going to talk about it, I went through a list of the episodes again. And um, Helping Hand was another one that's really weird because I was like, well... I don't see why this isn't just. Uh, I really liked it. It's a really nice little short, the one about the mm. astronaut, the female yeah, I astronaut. It was pretty good, yeah. Um, and I was like, well, why isn't this just like live action though? And it's like because you couldn't get a budget to do that live action. There's just no. Yeah. It's one of the few cases where live action would have been more of a photorealistic stuff would have been way more expensive. Um, or maybe not one of the few. I don't really know how much these things yeah. cost out. I'd fo- I'd totally forgotten about that story because there's so much um, extreme, like extreme stuff in yeah in the series. But I I don't think I think that we talked about witness or whatever it was. 
Yeah. Again, when people talk about how weird and confusing that was, I, it just reminded me of there's a couple of Barry Windsor Smith shorts from Epic Illustrated that are like only two or yeah. three pages <laughs> and loop in exactly the same way as that did. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I'm sure there are. I'm sure Alan Moore will have done a future shock like that or a time twister. Oh god, like, absolutely. No, the the um, although it would have been, you know, better, but the the um. Yeah, no. well, the thing about those ones, like the, the helping hand, and a lot of the photorealistic ones, or the the there was definitely a, a sort of a watching them. I kind of, I kind of appreciated the fact that they they kind of they make you think about the fact that how much of what we watch is fully CG now. Yeah, um, because so yeah, the the terrible one with the 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 guy in. I, I called it Solaris Triple X on yeah, yeah. Twitter. That, that, um, but the that you meant, the, but the one you mentioned earlier with yeah, that um, when that started, I, I I did have a moment where I was actually quite impressed mm-hmm. by the because I was like, this I can't tell if that man is animated or if he's acting on green screen. I actually and the, and then as it went on, uh, particularly mm-hmm. as soon as the woman took her clothes off. You know, yeah, and then and then she had like a completely unrealistic body. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that well, did not move in any kind of human way. <laughs> it was, uh, um, it would, it would, you know. So from that point on, I was like, no, yeah, these are these are digital puppets being moved around. But, um, and the yeah, and the lucky thirteen, the one mm-hmm. you were talking about. Um, what, what did you say her name was? I, I don't Sam- know Samira Wiley. She's in. Um, Samira she was Wiley. in. From she was Origins, in New Black. And yeah, and she's in the Handmaid's Tale as well. Oh, okay. so, I haven't watched that. Yeah, I don't want to. I she's we we like her. enough. Yeah, yeah no, that's great. fair. Yeah, yeah, but um, like the that it definitely was. She definitely was being animated, but there was definitely there must have been a, an element of performance capture going on. Yeah, and and the fact that they'd gone to the trouble of making it look so much like her is a, it, it is interesting because it does definitely sort of get across that idea of you know what we think of as live action and what we think of as animated like there's that's kind of i'm sure that wasn't an intended consequence but i think it is an interesting thing to get people thinking about that of like well yeah this is an animated series but you're watching this and this looks exactly like a lot of things you think of as live action maybe you should start thinking about what that means and yeah why there's a difference why you think there's a difference yeah what is the uh, but but at the same time i was also i was watching those and thinking well, why didn't they just like actually really? Why didn't they just green screen them? Yeah. Then really, because it must have been performance capture to get the faces as accurate as they were. Because um, they've definitely gone past the uncanny valley thing. Like the the bodies are not performance capture because you can tell like the physical movements aren't quite right. Yeah. But so it would have, you know, it, it, I think. Mind you, I suppose lighting effects and all of that—it probably would have pushed the budgets up just that bit too far. But I think all of all of those episodes would have been better if they if they'd used actual perform, you know, just mm. actually filmed the actors and then and and then put them in those environments. Because I think it, you know it's it, it's it's certainly possible. But then you know, as, as, as you say, maybe it is a budget. It just would be too expensive. But yeah, I don't know what costs more now because. Because live action TV shows use so much CG in them mm, to true. to get like 
to film in New York, film somewhere yeah. else and make it New York. And well, and and of course the Disney, the Dis, Disney are going to change up a lot of people's perceptions on this because the live action versions of things they're doing at the moment yeah, aren't, aren't live action at all. No, <laughs> so, the Lion King, the Lion King one is that's amazing that they're calling that live action. It's like there is there are no people in it. Yeah, so it's like the Jungle Book one. You can just about justify calling that live action because okay there is a person yeah <laughs> there is a person giving a a live action performance nothing else is live action in that film but there is one human being yeah but but yeah lion king like what what's what's life what what <laughs> it's it doesn't it's it's very it's very strange i mm. um the, the samira wiley that episode the lucky 13 mm. i mean you've just watched them so maybe you'll have a different take on this because i've forgotten a lot of it but like i think that's the only um that's the only example of non-white representation in it that isn't horribly compromised i, yeah, I, no, think. I think so yes yeah um so like the there's the one about the shape changer that's kind of it's another very rape culturey yes not I mean, rape that, culturey like it does have it that one does at least have some interesting things to say about colonialism i yeah. would be very interested um and probably depressed to find out whether any asian people were actually involved in the uh, writing and directing of it um, yeah, you know, and actually, yeah, you know, whether that's a comment on colonialism being made by people who actually, you know, might whose voices should be heard on that subject, yeah. or whether it's, um, you know, or whether it's it's a, 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 a white guilt the cartoon, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, but but yes, it's 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 you're right, horribly compromised. And you you mentioned to me the in in the DM the other one. Zima yeah, blue, yeah, it's the, yeah, it's it's the one that it's the one that people have reacted to the best, and I'm not really surprised because both of those episodes are the ones that are probably the most most traditionally traditional animated, but also really push that. You mm. know, they're both very line arty. I think I can't really remember. The, oh, they are, yeah, yeah. Um, and Zima blue looks beautiful. Um, it does. It, I mean, it's it it owes a huge debt to Jendi Tarkovsky and specifically to Samurai Jack. Right, that sounds about right. Yeah, um, and um, I know that the art director on it or the director on it is like he, adores Jamie, Jamie Hewlett. Uh, yeah, can see that, and is and is kind of kind of loves him. But like, there's a reason why I know that about that director, and that's that after I watched that episode, I, it's 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 interesting because, and I've seen, um, I've seen, I've had a conversation with a person of color, like uh, this uh, black American guy I know about it, um, who didn't right. take the. I, it's one of those situations where I'm wor- worried that maybe I'm like hyper vigilant okay i've gone the other way and i'm hyper vigilant about race and stuff like that in a way that isn't particularly helpful but if you took race out of it completely it's kind of it's it's one of those like philosophical um you can understand you can understand why people respond to it it's got a message about simplifying your life and when everyone's banging on about how we're looking at screens all the time and technology is like making us 
detach from each other and the things that matter and stuff like that. The whole point of that story is about simplifying. And I think the original short story it's based on um, was probably, it's by a white writer and it was probably about, like, it was probably a white character or just a default character, so white. Um, I I took it as being um, about, uh, to do with art and, like, the nature of of what what we're trying to do when we make art and and that and sort of you know um you know self the balance of self-expression and craft and and, and all that. like I, I as a from as an artist I took a lot out of it mm-hmm. in from yeah. that point of view and um, I think that I think that's all in there I think that was probably yeah. their point Okay, yeah. I I actually think that's their point. I don't think I, um, I don't think the unsettling stuff in it was intentional. I think nope. that what happened there was there's a predominantly white production crew, like artists and yep. artist and director, who loves and maybe a little bit fetishizes like Afrofuturism and okay. styles like that. So they thought, why don't we put why don't we make all like the main characters in this story black? Like, I mean, that's possible. It occurs to me that possibly that I, what I did wonder is maybe the character is black because, um, so the voice actor is mm-hmm. uh, a very um, beloved voice animation voice actor. It's the guy who did the voice of uh, John Jones in the. Um, uh, Justice League Unlimited. Cartoon. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's he's black. So and mm-hmm. I did. So I wondered if maybe the choice were like in. I, I wondered this after having spoke to you about it. But yeah. The, the whether the choice was because of that was like well he actually very rarely seems to get to do voices of characters who look anything like him. <laughs> that sounds so yeah. It wouldn't, yeah, maybe it would be nice to do that for once. Possibly. I, I think um, there's a similar thing as well to... Yeah, I mean, that's that's quite possible as well. Um, clearly, I think all of the... I think the voice actor of the... Because isn't the reporter in the story... Um, the reporter in the story is also black, I think, isn't she? Or No, is no, she not? she's not. Oh, okay, no. I'm remembering it wrong. Um, but, like... I I think it's one of those very well-meaning white things as well that like in the same way that Jamie Hewlett um draws lots of very beautiful oriental women oriental yeah. like a- asian women yeah, yeah um and I I think that slip of the tongue is actually entirely appropriate Well yeah possibly I mean because he draws them in a very fetishized way Yeah and I and I think that like there's um it occurs to me now I don't know what ethnicity James Marfood is but like where he leans into that graffiti style he tends mm. to he draws like a lot of um I think he draws a lot, a lot of uh, black characters or Yeah I I I I think I think the intention is to celebrate different the different culture. But oh, the prob- I'm, I'm certain. But the the problem is that when your story is about um, someone the, who to spoil Azima Blue, the story we're talking about. Well, I, can I summar- summarize it in a way that wouldn't necessarily be a spoiler? Go on. Is you could sum up. You could not inaccurately sum up the message of that story as being work makes you free. Yes. Um, yes. The, which was written, you know, the, 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 the famous slogan written over the gates of Auschwitz. Yeah. 
which actually <laughs> makes it even worse. Um, yes. Yeah, that that like uh, menial work, particularly menial work. Yeah. Um, the agency isn't all it's cracked up to be, and and those are already those are like. To be honest, even even if it even if it wasn't even if the even if the character was just white, there's a yeah. there's an element of um, there's an element of that sort of um, adoption of uh, adoption of Eastern philosophy, yeah, and and applying it to applying it to Western lifestyles thing going on there, isn't it? Isn't it like? The, yeah, there the, is the, you need to you need to make things minimal. Buddha, the like Buddhist teachings, tell you that you don't need this TV and you don't need that and all of that. There's there's that already going on there a little bit, but that's almost forgivable. It's kind of it, it's something that it's something that it's easy to sell to people. I think mm. um, as like a searching after a phyllis like a, a, a being present and stuff like it's all good stuff psychologically probably. But yeah, you well, make that character black, and suddenly it takes on a whole different tone for me that I'm not that comfortable with. No, I, 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 I like you. You mentioned it to sort of you um, flagged it up to me before I saw the episode that the episode about the artist is problematic, mm. and, uh, and then as soon as I'd seen it, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I a hundred percent see what you're talking about here. I think, and and yeah, it is. It is so clearly not intending to say that yeah uh, but it's still saying that like it is like absolutely it is something that, that they should have thought about <laughs> they definitely should have thought very long and hard yeah. about that before they did it it's like yeah it's um anyway it's messy. we are now coming up on an hour and a half <laughs> on this recording um i think that's plenty uh, yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if we re- reached any kind of definitive point, but I don't think we were going to, were we? No, um, I mean yeah. it was. It's. I'm glad it exists. I'm yeah, glad exactly. the yeah. Devon Robots exists. That's pretty much exactly my feeling about it. Is I, I think, I like. I enjoyed it. I thought there were lots of things about it that are, yeah, awful. But mm-hmm. there are lots of things about it that are great. I'm really, yeah, I'm really glad it exists, and I, I hope there will be more things like it that will gradually take us down a road to things that are much better. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. your, I think your takeaway is better than mine, but I think that's because I probably, I probably read too many comments about it on the internet. <laughs> the people <laughs> yeah. who like it are not people. I, the people who go on about how amazing it is are not people I want to associate with. So it's kind no. of. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. It was yeah. interesting seeing the seeing the reactions of my friends, like people who aren't remotely as hyper vigilant as I am about this stuff, were like watching the first couple of episodes and going, "I mean, it looks amazing and it's so exciting and and blah." And as they got through it, they were like, "Oh, the things I didn't like in those first couple of episodes weren't um, just weren't, those weren't just in those couple of episodes. They're pretty yes. consistently throughout." Yes. yes. <sighs> It's uh, it's uh, it's uh, been lovely. I have. It, we need to do this again soon because I had other stuff I, I wanted to talk to you about. Yes, I need to dig out my copy of Death of Captain Marvel. I don't know where it is right now because I have. I'm. I. I around me in this room. I have several bags of books, right. and it's in one of them. I think. Oh. So, or it may already be on a shelf. I am. Um, yeah. It's another thing about Marvel Unlimited. Not only is it if you're using it on a browser, it's almost impossible to use. It's like mm. it's just awful 
an awful experience. But um, it's remarkably difficult to find the Marvel graphic novels. We, uh, David, uh, the, what, what David's talking about, listener, is um, I, I'm thinking I might do a series of podcasts about the Marvel graphic novels because they're a really interesting bunch of graphic novels. Um, and I want in on that. Yeah. Um, Marvel Unlimited has, I think, most of them on there, but you can't just search for Marvel graphic novels. It doesn't work. Frustratingly, I am... Um... I, I don't I don't have Marvel Unlimited and the reason I don't have it is because um I have a Kindle right. Fire which it, uh Marvel Unlimited is not available on. Um and and so I would be reading it on a browser and everybody talks about how shit that is. So I'm just like, well, then there's no point in me getting it then. It's just there? messy. It's just such a messy yeah. experience. Um, but we will have to do that. I also there, but there's been lots okay. of. I've been thinking. I've been thinking lots about how um, um, all of the things in comic in the comic industry and culture could be fixed. So that's something Ooh, we need to talk about. I mean, I've got. I, I I don't know how to achieve it. I just. Oh, okay. I can definitely I see what the okay. problems are. You're thinking about how they need to be fixed. Yeah, how, yeah. How. <laughs> how they how, exist how everyone need yeah how they exist and everyone needs to behave to stop them happening <laughs> and all, all that really needs that to happen they need to be fixed not how they need to be yes fixed. yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it all seems so simple uh yeah. when you're just saying how people should behave uh yeah. <laughs> but yeah so we need to talk about that um definitely but yes oh gosh it's so lovely talking to you david oh likewise mate i, I yeah soon we will do this again soon i will let you know when yes i yeah next time we'll talk about comics definitely absolutely oh and actually i'm just realizing this will probably appear on the internet in in enough time for this to be worth saying uh if you're within the sound of my voice right now and you're also able to get to brighton in may um come and see paradise rocks a a musical that is a retelling of paradise lost but in the style of a 1960s Elvis move, musical. Um, it, it is written by uh, Simon Indelicate from the band The Indelicates, and he stars as Danny Morningstar, um, who is basically Elvis. Um, I'm in it. I'm playing uh, Gordon High, proprietor of Club Eden. Um, it's on the 14th and 15th and the 20th and 21st of May at the Brighthelm Centre as part of the Brighton um, Fringe. Uh, that's the Brighthelm Centre. Uh, it is a bring-your-own-booze venue. Uh, tickets are about a tenner. Uh, come, come, it's going to be great. Um, yeah, anyway. That sounds so. pretty cool. And I've just realised why it's confused me every time you've mentioned uh, the name of one of the characters. It's Danny Moonstar is the character from New Mutants, isn't it? Is that right? That's correct. Yes, yeah. that is correct. Spe- yeah. uh, speaking of which, um, I need to get I need to get back into my other podcast listening, but um, you're still doing the art for uh, Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. They just had an anniversary. They did. Five years. And yes. you're you're doing the art for a Daredevil thing, which I don't think you were doing last time we did an episode. No, I wasn't. Together. Yeah, that's that's still. We're. I just did episode thirty-three. Joshua and Jamie do Daredevil. That's uh, Jamie Gamble, mm-hmm. who is a, a small press comics writer. He uh, did a, a very good comic called Department Zero that you may or may not be aware of. Um, and Joshua Geegan, who I believe also maybe 
Moby writes. <laughs> I should probably know a bit more. Um, but they both work in TV, I think. Oh. Um, they, 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 well, I, Jamie's a cameraman, I think, or possibly a sound engineer. I don't know. But so TV and film and stuff. And um, they live in live in LA. But Jamie's from uh, London, and and uh, but yeah, they're reading all of Daredevil. Um, every Daredevil appearance is their aim to cover. Um, they've just got to Frank Miller. The oh. latest episode is the uh, covers the first appearance of Elektra. Um, it's really good. I, 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 it's not like uh, J.M. Miles. It's it's much more sort of um, just them talking about what happens in each issue. It's much mm-hmm. more sort of conversational, a lot less um, uh, uh, deep divey. Yeah, that they do not have a J editing. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody way. else does. That's the no, thing. It's true. It's true, and it, it's still a really good podcast. It's very entertaining, very enjoyable. And um, the the Steve Gerber era of Daredevil was not something I knew existed, and it's, <laughs> it's very entertaining. Um, so so yeah, uh, that's and and I'm really enjoying drawing Daredevil once a week. Um, and now you're in the Miller era as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get to draw Moon Knight next week. I'm really looking forward to that. Right. Anyway, I I have to be getting up for work in about six and three quarter hours. Oh God, no! So, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I had better go. Um, it's been lovely talking to you, Nick, and it's been lovely talking to you, listener. Oh yeah. <laughs> Make love to the what? listener through the. Don't do that. That's weird. <laughs> no, I can't. No. I don't even know where I was going with that. It's like I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to have to clean it afterwards. Jesus. Oh, um, I see you, David. <laughs>